Good day, everyone. This is March Twisdale, producer and host of Prose, Poetry, and Purpose, and I'd like to welcome you to my interview with Kathy Aviscal. Hello, and thanks for joining me today. Hi. Prose, Poetry, and Purpose is recorded in the studios of Voice of Vashon, broadcast at 11 a.m. on 101.9 FM KVSH. Thank you for joining me, and we're going to dive right into the show. To get us started, Kathy, I asked my authors to frame themselves for our listeners. So tell us a little bit about who you are. Sure. Um, I started, I'll start back. I trained to become a professional herbalist, did a lot of writing, research, and sort of clinical practice with herbs, but eventually started developing health problems myself and ended up fixing that with diet. And so I shifted from herbs to food and found it extremely helpful. Right. So we have three books here. If you live on Vashon, you definitely have heard about Kathy Aviscal and To Quiet Inflammation Diet or TQI Diet, right? Yes. I mean, everyone on Vashon has heard of this. In fact, you have altered the menus of many of the restaurants (laughs) on the island because people come in and they're like, I'm hungry and I have these specific sort of interests and goals, and so now there's delicious food everywhere that specifically matches your diet. For those of you, though, who are not from Vashon, we've got three books we're going to take a look at today. One is Herbs and Influenza, which was actually published when? I think 2005 or six. Right. It talks about how herbs were used in the 1918 flu pandemic and how effective they were compared to the normative practices of the time. Then we have these other two books, which are sort of companions to each other. Yeah, they're set. Okay, exactly. These come with anyone who takes your online or in-person classes. Yes. Okay, they're automatically included. So it's called The Abascal Way. It's sort of the reference book for the class. Right. Yeah. Right. But it's more than just that because it's definitely, I think, the class is brilliant. I took it. I loved it. But I think this book is almost a standalone maybe for someone who couldn't take the class? Yes, people will use it that way. Although, frankly, a lot of people have trouble changing based on a book. Yes. Yes. Yes, you're right, and the class is so useful. Okay, so what you were saying is that essentially you were eating a fairly normative American diet and using herbalism and whatnot to try to help your body feel healthy and... The herbs maybe weren't able to counteract the negative effects of the, the of diet. The food. And then once you completely change what went into your body, bam, everything sort of went away. Yes. All right. Yes, it was actually pretty amazing yeah. what food can do. Yeah. 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 I mean, we all say we are what we eat, and we all ignore that every time we go buy some Oreos because yes. we don't want to be an Oreo. But, you know. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to throw out there this thing that probably anyone who has ever had bad experiences with, quote, diets in the past, this is probably one of the least obnoxious and quirky and sort of silly, foo-foo, stupid diet concept you could possibly imagine. This seems to me more like you took a chemist's brain and applied it to an understanding of how food interacts with the body and said, let's be smart about this. Yes, and practical. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about the inciting incident in your life and how you came about to discover this for yourself. Well, it really started when I found myself having gained weight, having frozen shoulders. I'd wake up in the morning and my ankles would be stiff. And then I threw out my back and really just couldn't function. Looked at allopathic pain treatments but came to realize that I actually needed to try to change how I ate to sort of stop this deterioration. So you had put on some extra weight around what decade of your life? I was probably, let's see, it's about 50. Okay, right. Because yeah. I'm 44, and um, in my 30s, I was extremely active. You know, I did theater with my kids, I rode my horse, I ran, I did yoga, I rode my bike everywhere, and then I had, I injured myself. I pulled both my hamstrings. That'll do it. 
And basically, you can't do any of those things. And it took about a year. And during that year, I made good use of it. I wrote the first draft of my novel. That's brilliant. But something happened where my body did that thing that so many people do where they sit at a desk job all the time. And I just was sedentary for a year. Oh, my gosh. It had such a deep, lasting, lingering impact on metabolism, whatever you want to call it. My body just changed. I feel like a different person. Yeah. And um, that was when I was motivated. About two years after that, I was just sort of horrified by not being able to naturally spring back. And I came in and started doing Bikram yoga and taking your class. And everything was just, it just all changed. Yeah. In two months, it just went... Ooh, right, right yeah, back. It's, it's actually amazing. I think that when I started it, I had this theoretical understanding that it would help, mm-hmm. but I had no idea what it actually could do for me right. and other people. Now, you had so a little bit of weight gain, and then you had a frozen shoulder. Your back Two went out. Of- Two frozen shoulders, back went out, ankles were bothering you. I don't know how many of us would have jumped to the idea that food would affect frozen shoulder. So how did you not, like, just go down a chiropractic direction? What ended up causing you to see the food link? That's probably because I'm an herbalist. I work with plants. Right. And so a lot of the research and writing I did on herbs carry over you know, there's a fuzzy line between mm-hmm. herbs as food, herbs as medicine. Right. So we use turmeric as an herbal supplement, but we cook with turmeric. So as you research turmeric, you start to see its potential in kind of a different way. Right. Yeah. Well, now that's interesting. That brings up for me the specific to turmeric is I believe um, – in India, it's like a heavily used um, spice. So in America, we have this massive epidemic of colon cancer, and it virtually doesn't exist in India. Right. Because turmeric is, I think, especially good for the health of skin and anti-inflammation. And Actually, I think turmeric works for so many different things okay. right. that it's actually hard to pinpoint. Yeah. One of its main components is curcumin. And they've started to write articles, what they call it, the cure-all. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So here you've got people who are eating mostly plant, vegetarian diet, lots of high fiber, and tons of turmeric, and then no colon cancer. Yep. And we see the same thing in Africa. So they did a recent study where they took people on sort of a traditional American diet and people on an African traditional diet looked at their intestinal microbes, looked at their colon cancer rates. Right. And, of course, found people in Africa were much, much healthier. Right. And then they had them switch their diets for two weeks and could actually watch a shift in the species of microbes they grew. In just two weeks. Just two weeks, the Americans began to improve. Right. And the poor Africans, not so much. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Now, when I was in the class, I think a lot of people who are listening to this show right now will relate to my personal experience of um, I consider myself to be sort of um, a sugar addict. And that doesn't mean that I, I don't eat hard candy. I never chew gum. Um, you know, it, it, I don't drink soda pop. I'm not talking that concept of sugar. It's such Explain a, part. a little bit yeah. about how our, what are the certain components of food in our culture that convert directly into those sugars that cause the sugar spikes, even though you might not think you're eating something sugary, but it's going right. to turn into sugar. Go, go a little well, bit into that. First off, we have sugar added to everything we eat, from tomato sauces to salad dressings to our coffee, our tea our mustard, our ketchup. Virtually every processed food we buy comes with added concentrated sugars. true. Yep. And then on top of that, even the healthy of us typically eat refined grains. We eat refined pasta. Mm -hmm. We eat foods our body easily converts into sugar. 
without the benefit of fiber and nutrients to kind of control that right. effect. Right. Okay, so we've got the hidden sugars, which are just there in places that they wouldn't have been put there by mom when she was at home making homemade pasta sauce. Right. Unless, you know, someone had brought home a honeybee hive recently or something. Exactly. She didn't have, you know, a bunch of sugar sitting around 300 years ago in Italy at the time when they'd actually brought South American tomatoes to Italy. I always think that's hilarious how we think of Italians and tomato sauce. And I'm like, yeah, but that's only 500 years ago, maybe. (laughs) So, um, right, so we have the hidden sugars. But also I think um, what I found when I was younger, uh, I was 28, and I gave birth to my second son. And a few months later, I went 100% raw while I was – nursing both of my children, a five-month-old and a three-year-old. And 100% raw means 100% raw. It means for me it was vegan. I didn't want to do raw meat. Um, I was 100% raw for almost a year. Wow, that's a challenge. Oh, it's a challenge, but it feels so good. You feel like you'll never be sick again for the rest of your life. It's just brilliant. But what was interesting was that I had no ups and no downs. I had a constant, steady energy. And I feel like I live every single day of my life coming off of a crash and I'm in the coffee shop getting my 4 p.m. coffee or I'm grabbing, you know, I feel like I live my whole life on this up and down energy thing. Most of us do. But when I did your diet, especially that first period, I had the same experience that I did with raw. Even though I was able to have cooked foods, it wasn't as extreme as the raw diet or as hard to manage, but I still... I lost all the ups and downs. I just had steady energy. Yeah, it normalizes blood sugar really, really quickly. And in fact, even people with type 2 diabetes very quickly usually are able to either normalize their blood sugars or even get off their medication for blood sugar highs and lows. Right, right, right. Because type 2 is something that we largely is the result of the fatigue caused to the systems in the body that modulate in sugar. Part, I mean, a lot of it is simply that we live in a constant sugar insulin state. Right. You know, we're constantly eating and we're constantly spiking our blood sugar. And right. it has its consequences. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you wrote the book, and you have classes. Which came first? Classes. Classes. Classes came first. And it began really with the paper handouts. Okay. um, Which was difficult for students because classes run an hour or an hour and a half. Right. And they're detailed nutrition classes. Right. They really are kind of college level And so people would want reference material. They'd want to be able to go back and sort of go over it again just to make sure they hadn't missed things. So I sort of evolved from handouts to booklets, and I think I taught with booklets for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And then wrote the book to actually sort of mirror the class and allow people to revisit what we cover. Now, for local people who are on the island, they can swing by the Vashon Bookshop, and copies of both of your books are there. And for anyone who's interested in taking the class, www.tqidiet.com is the website. Yes. Okay. All right. And um, you also have, I think... Um, online support for people who have taken the classes, right? They, they have chat yes. rooms and well, stuff? Well, it's not so much a chat room. It's, it's kind of a low-tech board. Okay. But it's where students can go. They post restaurant reviews. Mm. They can ask questions. People who need more detailed feedback can actually post food diaries. So it's a message to, board? Yes. Okay, got and it. And in addition to that, I use a blog to actually update research because things do change. The book came out five years ago, so I use a blog for that. And then we have a Facebook page that is more for recipes. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, it, what I liked about this, now, the raw food diet, obviously, easy to remember. If it's been cooked, you don't eat it. If it hasn't been cooked, you can eat it. Basically, that was simple. Hopefully, it was a bit more detailed. No, no, that was basically it. (laughs) No, really, raw food is just based upon the concept of of raw food. Some people get a little bit more into making fancy, you know, um, 15 ingredients going together and you've got a raw ice cream or whatever. And other people will say, no, you should really eat one food at a time like the animals would. And so there's all the ranges. But what I liked about the TQI diet was that it had reasons for each aspect of the shift or the change that a person might want to make. And that's what's so great, I think, about taking the class. I agree. Just picking up the book is going to be 5% as effective as taking that two-month class because the way that you, you lay it out, just I walk out motivated to add that into my life. And there, you said there were three different sections to the book or, or to the concept. Do you want yes. to touch on each one well, of those? basically, I try to start off with a really short three-week, let's do everything we can to quiet inflammation. Right. And that's really to give people a personal and physical sense that changing their diet actually would make a difference. Right. And that's, of course, really important motivationally. One, right. that it's short, and two, that they'll feel the difference. Then the next se- section is actually testing foods because while we are inflamed, it's really easy to absorb food proteins usually and become sensitized to different foods. And, and because, that has to do with sort of the concept of the leaky gut? Yes, it's sort of the okay. same thing. Leaky gut's kind of a, your intestinal lining becomes kind of loose mm-hmm. and you can actually admit foreign compounds that trouble your body. Okay. And because we eat a lot of wheat and dairy, in our food culture, quite frequently what we've absorbed are wheat and dairy protein. Mm-hmm. So those are common food triggers. Mm-hmm. But equally, it could be any food you eat frequently. Um, so is it specifically the protein of a food that the body's immune system is most likely triggered by? Usually, and that's because... Because people our, don't think of grain as being a protein. No, but it's the every, protein every in the food. Grain has protein. So that's why nut allergies might happen more often because they are almost all protein. That's in part, and they're complex. Complexity will play a role too. Okay. But the reason we typically react to proteins is because our immune system identifies viruses and bacteria by their foreign proteins on the surface. Amazing. Yeah, and that's why when we have transplants... Somebody oh. else's organs. Yeah. We have to suppress the immune system because we have unique personal proteins right. on ourselves. Wow. So as you begin to absorb foreign parts of foreign proteins, it's an easy trigger. There wow. are other compounds that can cause problems. Nightshades will have complex chemicals called alkaloids that are sort of close to toxic. Mm -hmm. And so there are other compounds that can be absorbed and trigger reactions, but it's typically a protein in a food. Interesting. And then the third section. Third section is where we try to expand how we eat to include more of foods we actually shouldn't be eating trying to come up with some way to balance between our willingness to be healthy Mm -hmm. and our reluctance to give up our quote-unquote comfort foods and drinks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's a tricky part. It's huge. The psych, I mean, the, um, the emotional connections that we form with comfort foods. I mean, you know, like for me, I know dairy's not good. So having a latte is never good for me physically. But if I'm ever in a situation of stress or if I'm feeling sort of, um, 
I mean, there's a whole host. There's a whole host of emotional states I can be in where the first thought I have is it would just be so nice to go sit down at the cafe with my latte and, um, you know, a croissant and just just sit there. It's like my meditation food almost, yeah. you know? And that's because we self-medicate with those foods. Mm. They actually reduce stress hormones briefly. Mm-hmm. So and then your stomach uh, hurts. Yes. And then it backfires. <laughs> it backfires. But typically right. what we do when it backfires is want to self-medicate again. Yeah. So it's real easy to get locked into kind of a downward spiral. And, and we two talk and a half a lot. weeks later, heartburn's back and yep. your stomach and you Ache. feel horrible and yep. your head hurts and you're dehydrated and your lips are chapped. And anyone else yes. going through this? <clears throat> so <clears throat> we talk a lot about self-medication <laughs> yeah. and class five, sort of the biochemistry of it. Right. We try to come up with ways to break. Once you've sort of headed on that downward spiral, we try to come up with ways to kind of break it. And in part, it helps to know that that's actually what you're doing. Yes, yes. Yeah, I know. I'm like, okay, so maybe when I'm stressed out, I'll give myself permission to sit down for a half an hour and read a favorite book. Or, you know, I'm trying to come up with some physical activity or or something I'm doing that makes me feel better. So when I am stressed out, I'm like, oh, I'll go do that. It'll make me feel great. Yeah, but it's tricky to kind of get away from food. Well, and there's so many other people around you who are doing the food medication thing. Sure. So you know that not only will you go to the cafe, you're not alone. You can look around and there's five of your friends in the room all doing the same thing. Try a family gathering. There you go. So what can we do to also positively influence those around us, especially the kids? kids? Kids are tricky. I mean, I think it's important when you first start off not to reward your kids with sugary things. Right. That would be one huge step. It's true. You know, and to actually, I mean, I think if, if parents set an example, I mean, if you eat good food, if you have a garden, your kids are much, much more likely to follow that. Maybe not. I mean, it's hard to offset school lunches mm-hmm. and the influence of other children. Well, and in the teen yeah. years, they're going to do whatever. But yeah. it's like but they later can get in back life. To it. Yeah, you know, I mean, I grew up on um, homemade bread. Now, granted, it's, it's, a, it's a wheat product, whatever. But but still, my dad, we never bought a loaf of bread my entire childhood. Well, well, he just always made bread, put it in the freezer, pulled out one loaf after the other. You know, two months great. later, made a whole bunch more bread. And so for me, one of the most beautiful memories from childhood was that slice of, of bread out of a loaf that just came out of the oven, sure. you know. and it smells good, too. Yeah, but yeah. it's like I remember that. So later I came back to it. Yeah. I was making my own homemade bread when I was like 22 years old in college. Yeah, you know? and they're starting to discover as well that if we actually set up a really good intestinal flora mm-hmm. in our children, right, that stays with them even through years of poor eating. Mm-hmm. And they just don't develop the health problems. Right. And it's probably especially important in our culture because we have studies now that show that a week on antibiotics can actually disrupt a person's flora for two years. Oh, God. <laughs> so it becomes, uh, again, incredibly oh. important to be eating well. If yeah. If you're going to give your kid antibiotics, it needs a counter. A lot yeah. of us are dealing with old, old yes. wounds and to our takes, system. It takes longer than three weeks to recover from it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the class is a start. So I have had so many people come to me and talk right. about the drastic and dramatic changes that have happened in their bodies relatively quickly, and they're thrilled. Um, on the back of your book, I'm going to read just a couple of them. This one, my inflammation is gone. The cold weather was not why my arthritic fingers, knuckles hurt painfully. It was my diet. All the pain 24-7 is gone. It feels wonderful. Yeah. Let's see. I have lost 52 pounds and 12 inches off my waist. I enjoy the food and remind myself that if I owned a Ferrari, I sure wouldn't pour sugar into the gas tank. <laughs> and that one's really cute. Yeah. So when I took your class, 
within three weeks, I, I was at a point where I would get up and when I got out of bed and I would stand on the ground, my feet hurt. Yeah. And I, I had that's what I call my stiff ankles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I just thought something's got to go. And that's when I thought maybe it's inflammation. Within three weeks of um, being on this diet, I was climbing out of bed. I was jumping out of bed again like kids do. It's so great. It's only going three yeah. weeks. It was amazing. I'm not sure I want to talk about so much any, How like, to. quote, rules. No. Right. Right. But um, it's more like um, what's going on with that, that sugar roller coaster thing, and, and it's linked to fat. There was, there was a th- sure. – explain sure. that little cycle sure. a little okay. bit. Basically, we're, we're set up to – our liver controls our blood sugar levels. So ideally, if you're healthy – and you eat healthy food, your liver will, in response to insulin, absorb that sugar, and it stores it in your muscle and liver cells. And then as you move about through your day, you use up the sugar in your blood, and a different hormone will get your liver to gradually release that sugar. And then when you run out, your brain well, sort of throw a hissy fit and say it's time to eat. And you'll eat another healthy meal. So you have this habit, you eat, you store sugar, you burn it, then you eat. We, though, start to spike our blood sugar levels with sweeter foods. And so we secrete extra insulin. And initially, that's not a problem. Your body, your liver will take all the blood sugar, and store it. So you're back to normal. But then when your blood sugar levels drop, the opposing hormone can't come into play Mm. because you've got extra insulin. You're sort of in an insulin-dominated state. And so your blood sugar levels stay down, and your brain throws its hissy fit and says, you must go eat now. Mm -hmm. And it will want a quick blood sugar rise. So it's going to direct you toward more foods that spike your blood sugar levels. Right. So now you're eating and you're storing sugar. You're eating, storing sugar. Your liver eventually fills up and quits responding to insulin. So the body's backup plan is insulin now tells your fat cells to absorb the sugar and store it as fat. Mm-hmm. And that's why most of us were now eating, storing fat, eating, storing fat. And it's much harder to pull the, um, the resources out of fat cells than it is to pull it out of the liver station. There's that, the but more importantly, you're in this insulin-dominated state right. where you aren't pulling it really from anywhere. And that's when weight gain typically begins to happen. And you start to move toward insulin resistance, toward diabetes, certainly toward weight gain. And it throws your blood fats off. Typically, your blood pressure will start rising because you're just generally inflamed. Right. Yeah. Right. And so we break that cycle initially simply by having times when we absolutely do not eat mm-hmm. yet mm-hmm. to get that break it's true I, I like the um, sit down look at my plate of food and actually eat what's on the plate rather than having the plate and I'm sure everyone listening can relate to this about 10 inches to my left because I've got my laptop in front of me and an hour later I've eaten you know what I could have eaten in 8 or 10 minutes yep is like finally done an hour later, you know, and yeah, and um, within 20 minutes you're up making another snack or something like that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's one of the things we break pretty much quickly. And we talk about why. And we talk about how to handle the fact that some people going without food for several hours will start to experience blood sugar lows. Mm Mm-hmm if they don't do the diet right. And that's often what people sort of attribute to a detox 
reaction. Oh. When, in fact, you're not detoxing. Right. You're simply stressed. I mean, you can have detox. You, not really. Oh, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, I've... So, what do you... What's the difference, then, for between the concept of detox or the concept of feeling stress? Because a lot of people will say, you know, if you go off sugar, if you do this, if you do that, you know, the, the candida, like, will start to die off, and then your body gets overwhelmed, and then you feel sort of sick for about a week, and your body's cleaning it out. That's the concept I usually hear of around detox. Yeah. So, does that not happen? No. Actually, I don't think it does. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, usually as you change your diet, you change your intestinal flora. Right. So you quit feeding, and it's not just candida. It's actually probably more yeast-loving bacteria. So you yeast? Quit, wait, wait, yeast? I mean, sugar-loving. Sugar-loving bacteria yeah. more than yeast? Yeah. We okay, actually okay. only have a few yeast, and candida specializes in sh- simple sugar. Right, right. But we have tons of bacteria that are inflammatory strains. Really? That also are sugar metabolizers, many, oh. many more than we have candida. As we quit feeding them, they typically kind of just go into hibernation. And we feed other strains that actually are anti-inflammatory. And this should make you feel better, mm-hmm. generally. So this concept that you are detoxing and feel worse for a while usually is simply that you aren't really maintaining your blood sugars properly. Mm-hmm. So you're developing food cravings, headaches, irritability, insomnia, fatigue. And a lot of that is just from the blood sugar. Well, if you it's look- blood sugar yo-yo. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, so we talk about how to use fats and proteins to kind of prevent that reaction. Because they take longer to digest. Metabolites, yeah. Yeah, on the raw diet, even though you do have nuts and whatnot, there's it's maybe less heavy in proteins. And so you're generally sort of encouraged to graze or eat yeah, when can you be, want to. The raw diet can be yeah. a little too high in sweet fruits and vegetables if you are Depending on how people do it. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great diet, but it can be tricky to implement well. All right, so when you decided to write the book, um, what was the the process of writing this book like for you? You'd written one before, um, so was it... Yeah, um, I've actually done a lot of writing Mm -hmm. over my career. I started off as a lawyer, so I've written briefs, I've written draft opinions, and then moved into medical research. And so I have kind of a, a long background in nonfiction writing. Right. But it's still kind of a tortuous process, I find. <laughs> so, and my I'm, listeners out there who are, are amateur or professional writers at this point are nodding their heads. <laughs> so, it took me a long time to write the book. I think largely it's procrastination, which in my case manifests as, oh, I need to do some more research. Right. And I'm trying to write a second book now, and I find myself sort of veering off to read this other book. It's so much more fun. Yes. 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 I love research. Oh, it's like down the rabbit hole I go. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the book was kind of slow and tortuous that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just think you do a brilliant job. Is this self-published? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, congratulations then because there's a perfect balance between white space and text yes. and images. Yes. This is not my copy that I have in my kitchen. The copy I have in my kitchen has a couple of dog-eared pages <laughs> where, okay, I'm hungry. I need a snack. Flip, what can I eat? You know, okay, what can I eat? All right, mangoes. Yay! So what do you think has been maybe the best outcome from this book? What did you, at some point you said, I'm so glad I wrote this book. It worked great in this way. This was wonderful. What was it that worked best, you think? Well, I think it's the student feedback, Mm. both from classes but from the book as well, simply people who've bought the book. And then I've sent emails sort of describing how life-changing it is. And that's actually what keeps me going. 
because, you know, years into it, they, you get kind of fatigued. Yeah. There's that moment before class where you go, shoot, I should retire. Then you get yeah. to the classroom and somebody will come up and say, I can't believe I can play the piano again. Right. And you can just watch somebody's life improve, you know. It's a real gift, both for them, but for me, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And anytime we do something for a period of time, especially when it's in service to others, truly the reward is watching it be successful. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I taught ballroom dancing, I think, for seven years, and I'd get a little fatigued sometimes, you know, getting out the house, leaving the kids, exactly. you know, whatever. But, you know, 10 minutes in, I'm watching married couples laughing together or, you know. Yeah, exactly that experience. And then I'd be like, okay, this is why I'm here. This is what it's all for. Yeah. So if a person's interested in doing this, I mean, there's sort of um, pretty much almost every possible medical condition that a person could be dealing with this linked inflammation. Yes. is like a lot. I mean, a broken arm is not linked to inflammation. It is. It's not caused. Right, right. But your healing process will change dramatically if you quiet that inflammation, especially right then. But for what I meant was like for not things like that, I want to sort of help my listeners identify that what they're going through may not be normal because there's the people who think I'm normal, healthy, when really they're just used to suffering. Yes. And then there's people who are, I'm normal in the realm of unhealthy. Lots of people are unhealthy like me. I take a few pills, whatever. This is normal. And all of that could literally go away. Yeah. Probably the most recent example was a friend who thought he had heart problems. Went and got a stress test. And, of course, was tremendously relieved when he found out that it's actually acid reflux. So, on the way home, he picks up the purple pill in course. and comes in and says, wow, I feel better. And I'm going, well, have you looked at the side effects of that medication, which Mm -hmm. includes everything from impotence to bone loss and Mm -hmm. headaches and fatigue, combined with the fact that MDs themselves actually say that a good 90% of people could get off that medication if they changed their diet. Well, and also, um, the, so the medication we're talking about is... Um, the, it's I, antacids. And that's where, you know, when we do foods, they've been tested by humans for eons. Right. You know, and that's why getting back to real traditional foods make such a difference. Right. When we move away from the additives and the flavorings and the sugars and, and the, the strangeness, yes. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, they're starting to do some really good research on what a difference those chemicals actually are making in terms of poor health. Right, And that's another place people are sort of startled when they first start the diet, Mm -hmm. when they have to eliminate natural flavors. I mean, we're sort of, why? It's in my herbal tea. It's in my everything. Well, natural flavor must just be like oregano and turmeric, right? You would think, but But not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a chemical. Yeah. So we've got some natural flavors is legally a term that the food industry is allowed to apply to some something like 200 ingredients or something crazy like that? Huge, huge numbers. Basically, a natural flavor is anything that is extracted from a food, a natural product that's used to flavor. So MSG is a natural flavoring because it comes out of seaweed, right? Yeah. Right. So if it says natural flavoring... It just means you, it could be 10 of it's those just mixed as, together. It it's just one, as artificial, anything. really, as an artificial flavor. Now, let's talk a little bit about sweeteners because, of course, there are the sweeteners that do not actually um, affect the, supposedly don't affect the blood sugar in the same way. But you 
um, do a really good job of explaining how the brain responds to the flavor of sweetness anyways. So what, what is it yeah. about, like, artificial sweeteners and all that well, stuff? Well, artificial sweeteners, it turns out, actually, it's not just the brain, but it's our flora. They found that artificial sweeteners, I mean, we tend to like them because they don't have calories. Mm -hmm. And they won't raise our blood sugar levels. And so we've come to believe that, well, we're good to go then. Can't be having an effect. But they now show that artificial sweeteners actually feed microbes that move people toward diabetes and add fat cells to their bodies. Mm-hmm. And then have other inflammatory chemical effects. Right. So uh, a lot of people are familiar with the idea of, I think, NutraSweet is the brand name for what chemical? It's an aspartame. I forget. Aspartame is yeah. how I pronounce it. it yeah. Pro- yeah, you probably have the proper pronunciation there. I probably there. don't. Oh. <laughs> I, always, I, always, I'm always like, okay, the scientists would say it the right way. No, okay. no. So we've got... Um, so a lot of people are nervous about that. There's, there's lots of research and studies showing, you know, migraine links to aspartame and all these other things. But then, especially on Vashon, our community is going to love, for example, we had that little back-and-forth conversation about stevia, which I – and then there's uh, xylitol. So those two are really popular right. as um, – there's all these ways in which they're promoted as being positive. And so the one thing that we do is we have those plants. We have the actual – um, stevia plants. Yeah. And so my son will go out and he'll just pick a leaf off like maybe once a day or every other day and chew on it and be like, oh, I love these leaves. And that's it though. He takes one little leaf that's about an inch yeah. long, chews on it, and then he says, oh, it's such a fun little plant, and he walks away. Yeah, most people doing stevia actually are doing chemical concentrated extracts from the stevia plant. Right. They're actually doing stevia sites. And they're coming oh. up with modified enzyme processes to actually concentrate these very strange sweeteners. Okay. And so it becomes much, much more like doing Splenda, you know, the little drops. Most people aren't actually crumbling little dry leaves right. into what they're doing. And so they need to kind of understand that that actually is a chemical if it's and white, it's powdered, and concentrated, it sort of doesn't wrong. matter where it came right. from. It's not right. normative for the body. Now, part of the problem of doing even stevia, if you did more than, say, what your son does, mm-hmm. it's part of the benefit of getting rid of concentrated sweeteners is your real food is much more flavorful. And we sort of live in a culture where I think as people move away from sugar, they discover that much of what they thought was bitter actually is tangy or tart Mm. or flavorful. And much of their fruit actually is almost too sweet. Yep. 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 I've had people sort of say, well, I used to like apples with nut butter for breakfast, but they're too sweet. Yep. Yep. And so they had to switch. So I, I, I wanted to have a snack ready available because I had... It was a complicated morning, right? Yeah. You know, we we're a one-family car, and with the snow, we don't have um, Wi-Fi, or we don't have Internet yet at the house, so my husband's going here, and my son's going there, and I'm going here, and it's like, right? Oh, so I said, okay, I'm getting breakfast, but I'm not going to be home until about maybe 1230. I'm going to need a midday snack. Yeah. So I, I came up here to make sure it was warm enough, went to Minglebent to grab a snack. So I'm like, okay, I got my, my nut proteins, and then I've got my grapes. I ate a couple grapes, and I was like, oh. Those are so sweet, yeah. you know? We, we, yeah, we breed them to be almost too sweet yeah. after a while. Yeah. Yeah, and part of being able to rediscover that food is tasty right, requires moving away from concentrated sweet. Yeah. You know, that is the one thing. So um, two mornings ago, I, oh, I know what it was. I had a cantaloupe, and I usually just, we have our own chickens, so I really love our own eggs. So... I my favorite breakfast um, is just basically an egg with a plate of um, fruit or surface veggies. Usually what one or the I other. Have to, yeah. yeah, and I'm sitting there eating this 
creamy yolk egg, you know, and then I'm taking a couple bites of this perfectly ripe cantaloupe, and, like, I put my hands on the counter and just was like, oh, this tastes so good. And the thing about everything I ate when I, when I, when I first experimented with the Kathy Abascal diet, the TQI diet, is I just kept saying to my husband and my kids, this food tastes so good. Yeah. It tastes so good. Yeah. And I kept, then I would say, well, what would I have eaten if I was doing the really fast, don't have time to cook anything, rush, rush, out of a box type of food? And I realized it was all very bland, simple, singular, dominant flavor. So you're right. I mean, yeah. food is delicious yeah. if we just let ourselves enjoy eating it. Yes. Yep, I agree. And your body weighs in because it actually gets nutrients, too. Right. And there's that sort of harmony that happens, yeah, between flavor and nutritional wisdom from the body. Yeah, you eat that big bowl of pasta, and it tastes really great because of the whatever, but in a way, you feel like really what you're doing is you're just eating it faster and faster as you're like, you're going for the, the starchy sugar hit you're going to get in a way. Yes. Or just to fill the belly. And plus, I think sometimes you have to eat so much to be able to get the nutrients your body's right. craving. Your breakfast was small, but it hit the spot. Right. Now, so you can yep. quit eating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the other yeah. thing I noticed was that after a few weeks, the quantity of what I was eating, I feel like any time I've been on just eating crapola food for a while, and then... I, I say, all right, I'm just shifting to whole foods, whatever. It takes about maybe two weeks or so, like my body is saying, yay, we're getting the nutrients. Yeah. And then the body says, okay, yeah, we got our nutrients. Yep. We don't, we're, we're, we're good. Okay. And then all of a sudden I'm eating smaller and smaller yeah. amounts. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, right, because everything I eat is good for me. And I tanked up there. I got caught up on a way. Exactly. And now I'm just even keel. Yeah, I did that with avocados, I think, when I first started. I would eat and eat and eat them. Yeah. And then one day I came home and discovered that it actually had mold in it. You know, that I'd sort of filled up. Yeah. And I didn't really want that many avocados anymore. The the nice thing with the raw diet, they talk a lot about checking in with your body. So, like, you know, you'll walk into a grocery store and you walk up and you look at some parsley. And you're like, oh, for some reason that I smelled it from across the aisle. And you take a little piece off and and you taste it. And if it tastes sweet, it means your body right now wants something that's in that parsley. And then maybe two days later, you walk over to the parsley and it doesn't smell quite right. You take a little bite, it tastes bitter. And you go, oh, my body got what it needed. Like your taste buds will change based upon whatever component. And that you're more aware of that when you've been raw for a while. Yeah. You become aware of your body talking well, to you. I think the same thing happens even if you if you just do healthy. Mm-hmm, it takes mm-hmm, a while, mm-hmm. though, to actually get your body to be able to once again communicate yeah. about food yeah. and what it actually wants as opposed to this sort of brain-driven right. stress response. How long do you food. think it takes for most people to feel like they... Um, get past the what it's not addiction, but it's the 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 um, when do they say I'm not well cravings? That's it. When do people typically say, "Wow, I got up, I went through a whole day, and I didn't have a massive craving moment." Actually, I usually hear back. You know, I have check-in emails for students, right, 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 right. each week when they're in class, and a lot of people actually even after class one mm-hmm. will comment that it's remarkable. They expected sugar cravings to be a big, big problem, Mm -hmm. but they aren't. Mm -hmm. Certainly by week two, I'd say almost everybody, unless they're eating a food that stresses them. Right, right, right. And that's where if sugar cravings don't go away, we begin to look at what else might you be eating that your body can't handle right now. That's sending you off chasing down sugar because you're under stress still. Yeah. Yeah. So there's so much that a person will get out of your, is seven weeks or eight weeks right now or six? It's just five. Five. For some reason I thought it was seven, an odd number. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so for folks who are interested, um, well, I'm going to put it this way. You're going to live a lot of years in this life and taking five weeks out of your life to run this particular experiment 
um, is a can't hurt you and may very well dramatically alter the rest of your life type of experimental moment. And I just, I wish everyone in America at one point was able to do your five-week program because so many of them would gain so much because you can't know until you try it. That's right. And the knowledge really helps. And if people are curious, I'm actually going to be posting sort of a little free intro video that kind of goes through some of the reasons why I think TQI is better than most other diets. Oh, right. And actually also could be combined with many of them. So you could do a raw food version of TQI. I think quite, paleo quite would be a nice nice blend yeah, as well. it's a good blend too. So yeah. we talk about the pros and cons of that. And then there are a lot of student stories for people who are sort of wondering, would this actually help my condition? And so, right, oh, that's something we haven't, we, we didn't go into a full list of it, but but basically there's just dozens and dozens and dozens of different types of um, conditions or issues that people have walked in with and they're floored that, you know, the doctor said nothing was going to help except this pill or blah, blah, blah. And within weeks, days, weeks, or at the most maybe a month or two, it's like just shocking improvements that no one would have predicted were possible. And what's really fun, I think, increasingly... A significant number of students come referred by healthcare providers. Oh, nice. Yes. Good. And I even have a doc who moved out from Seattle to Cleveland who's at a wellness clinic there, actually sells books and recommends the class. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I'm just so grateful that you have been willing to take the time out of your life to share what you discovered that worked for you with other people because you could have just taken care of yourself and and gone on to do whatever and and instead you're you know enjoying this yes yes but still it is a a gift and a, a choice that you made to share forward and that's the basis of the show inspiring you know um yeah positive social change in the world, one reader, one class taker, one eater at a time. Sounds great. Yay. All right. Well, unfortunately, very, very unfortunately, we are literally out of time. So um, I'm going to have to let you go. For those of you who are just now joining us, you've been listening to Prose, Poetry, and Purpose. My name is March Twisdale, and I have been interviewing Kathy Abascal, author and teacher of the amazingly successful Two Quiet Inflammation Diet. It's also called the TQI Diet. Uh, you can find out more at www.tqidiet.com. Um, thank you very much for joining us today.